There's lots of empty seats up here. You can stay up here if you want. I don't mind. The whole front row is empty, too, just in case you're dying to sit up there. Oh, sorry. There's lots of space. Sorry. Sorry. It's not empty. There are a few. If you have your Bibles with you, open up to Isaiah 48. We're going to continue our journey uh, through this second half of the book of Isaiah. Again, we're still in a section of Isaiah where God is, des- is describing to the nation His incomparability, that there's no one like Him. And tonight, it's interesting because some of the, some of the challenge that God gives to His people, I think, is, is vital uh, for us to hear. It says in uh, Isaiah 48.1, Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel. And who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or in right. So the idea, the, the challenge from God, and here's where I want you to, to kind of wrap your mind around. A lot of the things God's going to be talking about in past tense is future. Babylon hasn't taken the children of Israel. They're not in captivity yet. They're going to go. And But already the seeds of their disobedience and rebellion are there. You get what I'm saying? And so what God is telling them ahead of time before any of that happens is, hey, you're called by my name and you're called Israel and you're of Jacob, right? You're of the seed of Jacob. Uh, You've come through the 12 tribes. All of this is still true. All of that is right. But you're not following me in truth. You're not following me in righteousness. So the idea is that they give something called lip service. Jesus said something like that in Matthew chapter 7. He said, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will inherit the kingdom of God. That there's a lot of profession. It was interesting because I heard a guy speaking on Isaiah 48. And he was talking about the idea that, that uh, they, they called themselves Israel. And... Uh, Part of what he was pulling out is this idea of, of uh, understanding where our uh, where the where the rubber meets the road of our faith, not so much what you proclaim. What do people proclaim who watch you? Uh, your friends. They do they know family? Is there is it obvious to other people that you're a follower? Of the Lord, because that's really what he's saying. Look, you guys are called Israel and you guys are born of Jacob, but you swear by my name and you do all these things, but you're just, it's just not really there. It's possible just to go through motions, right? We all have done that. We've all, one time or another, worked a job we didn't like, right? No? And we did that job because we had to do that job and that was, you know, that was our motivation. And sometimes people's, relationship with God or religion is that way. It's just, you know, it's not a, a pursuit of a person. It is just a thing I do. I'm punching a card. And if I do this enough, I'm good. And if I'm good, then 
good things happen and everything's going to be okay. And that's really where the nation of Israel was. And this is what God is saying to him. He's like, look, you guys are called by my name and all these things are true, but you're not, it's not real. Isaiah said in another place, uh, these people draw near to me, right? They draw near to me, but they draw near to me with their lips, but not with their heart. They, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing for it to be real. Matthew 15. Here's where Jesus is going to refer to that scripture. It says, Matthew 15, verse 7. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, the idea is we build a list, right? Okay, here's the list. Uh, top 10. If you do the top 10, you know, there's all these things all over Facebook, right? If you answer these questions, I can tell you how screwed up you are. I'm a psychologist, you know. I'm going to ask you 10 questions. You give the answers, and I'll tell you, yes, you're a crackhead, or no, you're not. And, and so we take these tests to find out where we're at. And we do that with, with, um, with religion. But the, here's the problem when we do that with religion. We have this attitude about it, is we say that... Um, that that religion is not a pursuit of a person. It's a pursuit of something else. And what God wants us to know, what God wanted Israel to know, was it's a pursuit of Him. That's what He said, right, in Hosea chapter 6. He said in Hosea 6, this is what I want from you, Judah. Same guys. Here's what I want from you guys. Be faithful to me and pursue me. Know me. Know who I am. And so this is the same call in verse 1. Now, he's, he's going to make the statement in verse 1, and then the next uh, 11 verses are going to be supporting. What's, the, what's God's issue as he sees it with where Judah is presently, as Isaiah is speaking the prophecy, where Judah is presently and what that's going to mean for them in the future. So their, their captivity, the judgment, is still 100, 150 years off. But... The seeds are already, the seeds for their destruction are already there. We think about our nation. You think that our nation just, we went to bed one night and woke up like this? No, we've been sowing seeds of our own destruction for a while, right? And the same kind of thing with them. Look at verse 2. For they call themselves after the holy city. Oh, yes, we're people of Jerusalem. Remember, the Bible's a story of two cities. Babylon, Jerusalem. Jerusalem are the people of God. Pursuing God, that, that's the symbol, right? I am of Jerusalem. The people in rebellion against God, that's Babylon. And so he says, you call yourself after the holy city and stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. Now he wants them to know he is worthy of their trust. Yahweh Sabaoth, the God of the angel armies. He, he doesn't uh, require... A lot from us. If God wants to deliver, He can deliver, right? He's able to do it. So He wants them to know who He is. <clears throat> and then He wants them to know, He wants the nation to know what He knows. Look what it says in verse 3. The former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth. I announced them. And then suddenly I did them, and they came to pass. Now what He's referring to is things like the things He told Abraham. Remember when He called Abraham? Abraham. Go to a land that I'm going to show you, and I'm going to make you a father of many nations, right? And then he also told them that, that you're going to go to the land of Canaan, but your people are going to be in bondage. You're going to be
be in bondage for 400 years. But afterwards, God said, I'm going to bring them out a nation. Before it ever happened. So you have Abraham and you have Isaac and you have Jacob. And it's not until Jacob is an old man that they even go to Egypt. And then it's not till Joseph dies that they find themselves in bondage to Egypt. And while they're there in bondage to Egypt, if they would look at the scriptures that they had, they would see that God had already said that's where they're going to go. That the development of the nation went through Egypt. That's what was going to happen. He wants them to know not only who he is, I'm the, I'm the God of the angel armies. I have everything I need uh, to... to to be a part of what's going on in history, but he also wants them to know what I know. I know where you're going. You know, you and I, when we get up in the morning and we walk out the door and we make a decision to turn to the right or to the left, we have no idea what's down the road. But God says, you turn right, I know where that goes. I know where that decision leads. I know I know what's coming. I know what's in your future. And this is what he's declaring to them. And here's why he's reminding them. He says in verse 4, Not only did he know those things, the former things before they happened, but he knows who they are. Listen, I know you are obstinate. You ever met obstinate people? You ever looked in the mirror? Okay. They're obstinate. It means, it means he's going to describe it. Your neck is an iron sinew and your forehead's brass. You're stiff-necked and hard-headed. No? I mean, isn't that an apt description of mankind? If you, if you don't believe it, just have children. If you're children, I know you think you're not it, but you will understand. Eventually it comes to you, oh yeah, I got a hard head and a stiff neck and I don't know... Why I keep banging my head against the same stone. But that's what we do. And so God says, not only do I know the future, I know you. You're obstinate, stiff-necked, and hard-headed. And so, verse 5, I declared them to you from of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you. Lest you would say, it was my idol who saved me. This carved image, this other God that we've been praying to. Keep in mind, part of the issue with Judah is they had a hard time being faithful to God. On one hand, they would do the feast, they would go to the temple, they would make the sacrifices. But on the other hand, you know, as long as I'm covering my bases, I'm going to go to that temple and pray for that God, and I'm going to go to that one and pray for that one. And God said, why, why are you going all these? Those things aren't going to help you. None of that's going to help you. But because... That's what's in your heart that's going to take you to captivity. See, anything that is, anything that is coming up against the, the true and living God in our life is going to lead us into bondage. It doesn't matter what it is. It can even be good things. Man, you've got a good job and you love it, and the next thing you know, you're a workaholic. And I know what that's like. For the first time in my life, I worked 90 hours a week. And I didn't see my kids grow up. I never saw first words, never saw them learning to walk, never saw all those things because I was running after the almighty dollar. Now, the job was a good thing. 
but it began to encroach on a relationship that that I at least professed I had with God. But if someone was to stand by and look at my life, look from the outside, you know, into what, what makes Jackie who he is, they wouldn't have said, oh, that's a lover of God. They said, that's a, that's a good highway striper. Or he can, he can run a crew on the street or whatever. But it wasn't going to be, hey, that's, that's a lover of God. Something was in competition. And that's the way idolatry. Idolatry is sneaky. It, it's never exactly what we think. And, and we don't even notice it's going on until we're so far down the road that we think we actually will stop and we'll say, how did I get here? This is not where I wanted to be. Right? This is not the place I, I thought my life was going. But God, even as He does here with the nation of Israel, says, no, I, I saw it back there. I saw it back there when, when you couldn't be faithful. That you didn't hold on to that, that faithfulness that God wants us to have. So he says, I don't want you to think it was that idol. I don't want you to think it was the job. Look, when I look at my life, there was a time. So, so I'm, I'm, uh, I, made, I'm, I made more money in 1990 than I ever did the rest of my life. So back in those days, had a lot of stuff, had a lot of things. Making payments was easy. Nothing was hard. And a guy across the street from me got saved. Now, I was professing Christian, but, but I, I never went to church. Kathy would go to church. She'd say, hey, I'm going to church today to try to get me to go. And I'd say, the Rams are playing today, babe. Sorry. And I watched football. Watched football, and she'd go to church. We did that for a long time. Well, this guy across the street, he's, you know, when somebody gets saved, they just want to talk about Jesus all the time. So he come over to my house and wants to talk about Jesus. And it reinvigorated something in me. So I had some answers for him, for questions he was looking for, because I grew up in the church. So I had some answers for him, but I didn't have all of them. So eventually I ran out of answers for him, and he said, Hey, I heard there's a Bible college up there, and the next thing I know, I'm going to church with Kathy, and then I take a couple of classes, and then all of a sudden, all that other stuff was less important. So I remember walking in, I was, I was going to work thinking on my way to work, you know, I wonder what I'm going to do, how I'm, what, what, I wonder what God has for me. And it was, it's not, it doesn't happen to me all the time, but that day God told me to put in my notice. He said, uh, which was like still six months away, he gave me a date. I don't have no idea. I don't know why. As far as I know, there's nothing special about the date, but I had a date. Went in, was faithful, went in and talked to my boss. And uh, it's probably the longest notice anybody ever given. You know, hey, I'm I'm gonna bail in six months, so if you need to train somebody, cool. This is the date; it'll be my last date. And then, but I was not too worried about it because I was making a lot of money and made a lot of contributions to my uh, 401k, and the, it was part of a, a labor union, so I uh, just cashed it out. So I just cashed it out then. I'm gonna get all that money in six months. I'm good to go. It'll cover whatever I need. So I left that job making thirty-eight dollars an hour in nineteen ninety, and I took a job making eight. But I got off every day, five o'clock, and Bible college classes started every night at seven, so I could make it work. And the eight dollars an hour wasn't going to stay that way; it was just to start, right? And well, there was this whole group of things that happened. Okay, the 
the guy who ran the company, the striping company I worked for, he stole all the money out of the retirement of everybody. So there was no retirement. They kept sending me letters saying, next week, next week, next week, until guys with fancy suits and black sunglasses came and took my house. But he uh, never, never saw a dime. Probably, you know, not, I don't know, not a ton of money, $20,000 or something probably that, was, that had been in that that was gone. Then the guy I'm working for, he keeps me down on, in, uh, on probation, and he won't let me get up to where I'm making commission. So I quit the job, and I take a job at the city of Palm Springs, painting streets for the city of Palm Springs. And the guy who was part of that garage door company was who I was working for, he called me, and he said, Man, I've been spending all this time training you. Why you quit? I said, Matt, brother, I've been working for you for three months, and I'm still on probation making 8 bucks an hour. He said, what are you talking about? You're supposed to come up two months ago. I said, well, you, somebody needs to tell the guy running the show because he hasn't done that. And right now my family's slowly starving, so i got to do something else. So, But I, it was possible to look at all those things, right, the events, guy, this guy taking the retirement, that guy trying to take advantage, found out he got everything over and above. As long as he kept me on probation, he got my commission. So it worked out good for him, just not so good for me. So all of that, I can look at it and say, that's, oh, look, it's all this, it's all that. But the reality is, that's all the fingerprint of God. That's God working. Because where was my trust? My trust was in the $20,000 that I was going to get. And my trust was in the fact that eventually I was going to get commission. And, and if I worked really hard, I could, get, I could get us back on track. And that wasn't the plan God had. The plan God had was to wreck the whole train so that there was nothing and we're, Kathy and I are looking at each other in a van saying, what do, we, what do we do now? I don't know. You know, got to figure it out. But there was only one place to look. See, he opened my eyes to all the different idols I had, things that were in competition with him, ways where I was going to take care of myself. Now, I'm not saying don't be a good steward. Absolutely, be a good steward. But where's your hope? Where's your trust? Right? James would say, you know, don't be the person who says, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what I'm going to do, and this is what I'm going to do, and this is how it's going to work out. He says, say, if the Lord wills. Because the attitude is just simply being submitted. You know, if, if, this is, if, if, God, if this is what God has for me, then this is how it's going to work out. If not, I'll keep my eyes open for, for what he's going to do. And the nation of Israel was just like that. They had Only for them, there was actually little idols they're praying to, Right? You know, maybe we don't recognize the, the other places where our hope is. But they had all these other idols, all these other things. <clears throat> God says, I don't want you to think it's those idols who are doing this to you. I want you to know that I am the sovereign God of the universe. I'm working in your life. I'm sending you to captivity. That's why in Isaiah 45, he said, I create your destruction. It's not this other stuff. It's me. That's me working in your life. That's me calling you to myself. It's me showing you the other things where your focus is at so that we can get our eyes off of those things. And he wants us to know that, that the struggle is, and there, I remember a day driving down the freeway and <coughs> we were so far behind, we were never going to dig out. And literally they took everything we had. So we lost every, every car, everything. We had uh, three kids. No, nope, must only had two then. Kathy's not here. She can't correct me. 
a Mazda pickup truck that I traded my brother for that uh, was doing its best to blow up. And so I had a car seat in between me and Kathy. And we had three. Car seat in between me and Kathy, and I put two Volkswagen seats in the back of the truck and a shell over it and seatbelt so I could click the kids in, you know. And it was nice because there was no open window. So if they were screaming and fighting, I couldn't tell. So, so we, we enjoyed that. So we went all the way to that, right? But, but I knew in that, I was driving down the freeway one, one day and just asking the Lord, you know, why, why is all this happening? And, and uh, you know, I think we need to learn when we pray to expect an answer. I prayed and God gave me an answer. All I heard was, I want to know if you love me. And I understood that to be just like when he stood there with Peter, right? And said, Peter, do you love me more than all this? Or do you just love me because? Is it you and me or not? And so on the freeway, I bowed the knee to him in submission. Look, you want it all. You can have it all. But I'm following you from this day forward. And that's what we've done. That's been our journey into ministry. But that was the desire of God for the nation of Israel, right? The nation of Israel, it's symbolic for being willing to bow the knee and say, okay, whatever you have, God, whatever it looks like, whatever it looks like, we get so stubborn and stiff-necked and hard-headed that we think, well, Lord, if this is you, it's got to be this woman or nobody. Well, maybe not. Can you submit to God and say, if this is not the person you have for me, it's okay? If you can't, you might have an idol in your life. It's got to be this job. It's got to be this way. God, you got to do this. Or God, you got you to fix my marriage. Or God, you got to fix. And God is able to do all of those things. But what he's looking for from us is submission to say, you work in my life the way you see fit. For it's God works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure it's it his way is better than mine i don't always think that but i have learned that his way is better and this is what god is trying to get them to see now look what he says in verse six now you have heard you've heard the prophets have spoken now see all this And will you not declare it? Look at all the things that are happening. Judah has seen God deliver them. Judah is seeing things happen on current events, right? Babylon's getting stronger. Assyria's getting weaker. God's saying, hey, this is what's going to happen. Look at it all. See it all. From this time forth, I announce to you new things. I'm not talking about something I told Abraham. I'm not talking about something I, I said to Moses. Or to David. I want you to understand something new. Things you haven't known. They are created now. Not long ago. Before today, you have never heard of them. Lest you would say, behold, I already knew that. Right? A couple chapters ago, he told us a guy's name who's not even born yet. Cyrus is going to turn you guys loose. And they're not even in captivity yet. So he's saying, look, I'm telling you things I haven't told you. You have never heard, you have never known from of old, your ear has not been opened. There's two ways to to look at the ears not being opened. The obvious, right? The obvious is, hey, (coughs) you're not listening. 
You hear, but you're not listening. We have a good practice of doing that. Kathy and I uh, recently have been trying to implement a new rule in our marriage. Don't do this unless you really want to. So when we have a discussion now, before, if Kathy's telling me something or sharing something with me and, and I, I want to provide rebuttal to whatever's going on, before I can re- give rebuttal, I have to tell her what she just said. Because I can't tell you how many times I, I'll give a rebuttal and she'll go, what in the world are you talking about? And I'll say... I said, I know what you're saying. No, that's not what I'm saying. How many times? Because we hear, but we're not listening. And that's a good practice. We should learn to do it as a church, especially in witnessing and sharing with other people. If we would listen, hear what's being said, to the point that you can tell someone what they just told you, so you're saying you'll find your productivity in your communication go up because it will teach you to listen instead of usually when we are thinking of a rebuttal you heard the first two words and you already got the answer right no you guys aren't like that that's how i am so this is a thing he's saying look you've heard but you've never known from of old your ear has not been opened the second way the second meaning of that the psalmist declares to God, cries out to God, God, I want you to open my ear with your owl. Owl. I don't know how you say it. A W L. The all. How you say it? Not owl. Okay. All. Open my ear with your all. The point was when you came to a master and you made the choice to be, you wanted to be their servant. You were choosing to be their servant. They would open your ear on the doorpost of their house. So you'd go put your ear up on the doorpost and they'd take an awl and a hammer, bink, and pierce your ear and they put a hoop in your ear and that marked you as doulos, bondservant, slave by choice because you wanted to be. So there's... Both possibilities, both are, are, would make sense, right? That they are hearing but not really listening. And the other symbolizes you're not submitted to what I say anyway. So I say don't go and you don't listen. If you need to understand that, read Jeremiah. Jeremiah's entire ministry, nobody ever listened to him till the day he died. That we were just studying living by the book, talking about Jeremiah and they threw him in the mud. You guys remember the story? They threw Jeremiah in the mud. It's Jeremiah 38. They throw him in the mud because he's telling all the people, stop fighting and surrender and you'll live. If you keep fighting, you're all going to die. So stop it. And people were leaving Jerusalem to turn themselves into the Babylonians. And Nebuchadnezzar would be standing out there and here would come another group of them. And he'd say, what are you guys coming here for? Jeremiah the prophet told us, we come here, we'll live. And Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, come on. So the king throws him in this mud hole and then eventually somebody says take jeremiah out of the mud. you can't kill jeremiah in the mud hole so they pull him out of the mud hole and the king has a secret meeting with jeremiah and he says to jeremiah jeremiah just tell me just tell me straight what is it that god wants and jeremiah says why do you want me to tell you you are not gonna listen to me 
And if I tell you what you don't want to hear, you're going to kill me anyway. So the king says, I'll make you a deal. If you know, don't tell anyone what you told me, then I won't kill you no matter what you say. So Jeremiah says, okay. So the king says, what do I need to do to live? Surrender. Surrender, you, your family, everyone will live. The city will live. You can build, plant, go on, have lives. Okay. If you don't surrender, you're all going to die. So the king says, thanks, Jeremiah, and doesn't listen. And they die. And when Nebuchadnezzar comes and he gathers up the, what's left and they burn down the temple and everything's destroyed and Jerusalem's wiped out, he finds Jeremiah and says, hey, I heard about you telling all the people to, to surrender. You're, you're my kind of guy. I'm going to give you a nice big old palace in Babylon. You can come over there and, and retire. Uh, you don't think Jeremiah wanted to take that retirement? Well, nice place. No more arguing with people ever again. And Jeremiah look over and go, ah, there's a, there's a remnant of disobedient people over there. And if I go with you, they won't have the word of the Lord. So I got to go with them. Nebuchadnezzar says, okay. So he goes over to those guys. And he says, guys, so we're going to do what God wants us to do. Well, what's God want us to do? He wants you to go to Babylon. Nope, we're going to Egypt. If you go to Egypt, you're all going to die. The people say, Jeremiah, you never say nothing good. Never say nothing good. We're going to Egypt. So Jeremiah marched to Egypt with them. And they all died, and that's where Jeremiah died. Nobody listened. Nobody heard. Nobody would submit to what it was God was doing. But it didn't stop Jeremiah from being faithful, right? To share the truth of what God was telling them. Their ears weren't open. They weren't submissive and they weren't listening. But look what he says at the end of verse 8. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously and that from before birth you were called a rebel. So it's not just me who wants to rebel against everything. That's what Romans 3 tells us, right? For how many have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? That's not most, right? He says, God says, before you were born, you're a rebel. You were a rebel. I knew it. But God never left the people without his word. He never left the people without him saying to them, even if they won't listen, don't do that don't go that way and maybe for those people who wouldn't listen and who whose life struggles it doesn't help them but maybe their children will remember and say you know god told us this how many times in the time of the kings do we see a bad king bad king and then out of nowhere one of their kids is good why was he good because he learned from his parents yeah i don't want to do that but you had the opposite too, right? Good king, good king, then a bad king. So rebel is in us. And this is what God's declaring, man. Rebel is a part of a part of you. It's coming out from you. This is part of our human experience. <clears throat> but God says, look, I'm reluctant to cut you off. In verse 9, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. The word for cut off is karat. I don't want to cut you off. I'm not going to put you to death. 
It's interesting because it's the exact same word that he says positively about his son. In Daniel chapter 9, the Messiah will be karat, cut off. What is being deferred of mankind's guilt is going to be laid at the feet of Messiah. God says, I'm not, I'm not in a hurry to cut you off. I'm doing something new, right? We're going to start seeing prophecies about Messiah. Isaiah 53 is coming. The suffering servant. All these things are on the horizon. God's saying, I'm going to lay these things out, but I want you to know I'm deferring my anger. And that, that anger at the wrath, the wrath of children of wrath, what they have stored up, is poured out on His Son. So, if we don't reject His Son and we receive that gift of grace then we are not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? But if we reject that payment, then we are by nature children of wrath. That's all we're waiting for. We're waiting for the wrath of God, the judgment of God. Verse 10, he lays out his plan. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. It is in the furnace of affliction that we learn where our focus is. I understand what's going on when I go through the furnace of affliction. All of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a minute. Am I thinking about the Lord? Am I calling on His name? Lord, save me. When Peter is walking on the water and the storm gets crazy and he takes his eyes off the Lord, does he look back at the guys and say, somebody throw me a life vest? Hey, one of you guys help me? Throw me a rope? No, what's he do? He looks up at Jesus and says, Save me, Lord. The furnace of affliction teaches us who we cry for. Whose name is on your lips? I remember going hunting with Jason, going through the bushes, and I was almost eaten by a sage grouse. But I was pretty sure it was a grizzly. It was about four in the morning. I got a bow. And I'm crawling through this bush, and I'm thinking, this is dumb. Sometimes he's not the best trail buster. He'll say it was me, but I don't think it was. But I'm going, following this trail, and we're going through all this brush, and we, I hear elk all around us running all over the place. And we're stuck in this thick old brush trying to work our way out. And it's pitch black because, you know, if you go hunting, you have to go hunting in the pitch black when you can't see because that's the best shot you're going to get. <laughs> so we're going we're trudging through all that and as i'm trudging through i take a step and two sage grouse come up between my legs and they go and they're flapping all over me their wings and they're they might have been trying to peck my eyes for all i know and i was as scared as i have been in recent memory and i screamed like a little girl super high-pitched Super high pitch, but I screamed Jesus. And when it was over, and it wasn't like a curse word, it was like, save me, Jesus. <laughs> and when it was over, Jason was like, dang, I'm pretty impressed. There's a hundred words could have come out of your lips. But the one was, Jesus, I'm pretty sure this bear's eating me. My legs are gone already. Right? So I'm, I'm calling out on him. It's in the furnace of affliction when we find out 
whose name's on our lips? Who will we cry for? Who will we reach out for, right? Do I reach out for myself, like I can pull myself up by my bootstraps? Or are we reaching out to Him? He says, I'm trying you in the furnace of affliction. He wants them to know that He's trustworthy, that they can trust in Him, right? So that they can know that He is able to deliver them. He says in verse 11, For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So ultimately, God recognizes our inability and He's going to be the Redeemer, right? I will not give my glory to another. Look what He says. Verse 12, So listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel whom I call. I am He. That's the Old Testament equivalent to I am. Yahweh. I am the first and the last beside me there is no I'm incomparable there's nothing else you can put your trust in that is going to be worthy I am it this is what God wants the nation of Israel and us to understand I am the first and I am the last the very words Jesus is going to quote uh, I think four times maybe five times in the book of Revelation I am the first and the last the Alpha and the Omega he who was and died and is. He lays out for us. And so he says in verse 13, So my hand laid the foundation of the earth. My right hand spread out the heavens. When I called them, they stood up. When God said, let there be light, what happened? Light. And literally, it's pretty cool if you look into the Hebrew, because he doesn't say the words, let there be. He just says, light, firmament, it's like, beep, beep. When I said it, they stood up together. When God calls, when, when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, there was not a big argument, right? He just comes out. When he's standing before the soldiers who come to arrest him, and they say, where is this Jesus? And he says to the soldiers, I am. They all fall down. There's power. Power in the word. Power in the word of God. So he declares in verse 14, <clears throat> assemble all of you and listen. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall perform his purpose on Babylon. He's talking about uh, going back to Cyrus. The Lord has anointed him. The Lord actually calls Cyrus Messiah, anointed one. Cyrus is my chosen one. He's the one. He shall perform his purpose on Babylon. His arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken and called him. I have brought him, and he will prosper in his way. Now the people, the children of Israel, are dumbfounded. Well, you should be using a Jew, God. Why would you use one of them goofy Medo-Persians? They're messed up people. They're not like us. They missed the point, right? God just said, you're a bunch of messed up people too. Stiff neck, hard head, remember? Obstinate. Yeah, God, God can use anyone. Because we're all, uh, at least, you know, none of us are, are going to be able to touch a star. You may be taller than me, might be better than me, but you're not going to measure up to Jesus, and he's the measuring rod. So we, we don't measure up. They're saying, how can you use him? God says, I'm going to use him. 
And I want you to learn to rely on me. Draw near to me. Hear this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. God says, I've told you all along what's going to happen. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. And it's probably Isaiah referencing now to the people. Hey, and now God has sent me and his spirit as Isaiah is delivering the word that the Lord had given him. And then he says, thus says the Lord, your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Two things from that verse. God is telling us he is our teacher and he is our leader. David, the psalmist, knew it. He said it like this. The Lord is my shepherd. What's the shepherd do for the sheep? He teaches him and he leads them. And this is what he's declaring to them. I am your teacher and I am your leader. Oh, that you had paid attention. Verse 18 to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea. If only you had listened. If only you had known this, your day, the things that make for your peace. Uh, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. Does that sound familiar? Now what Jesus said? So he's walking into Jerusalem, coming on the Palm Sunday road. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Those who stone the prophets and kill those who are sent to them. How often I've wanted to gather you. But you were not willing. The idea of if you known, if you had known the things <clears throat> that make for your peace. If you had known, then you would understand you could have had peace like a river. Sounds like a song, don't it? And righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand. Your descendant like its grains. Their name would never have been cut off or destroyed from before me. Go out from Babylon. Flee from Chaldea. Declare this with a shout of joy. Proclaim it. Send it to the end of the earth. The Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. You guys are going to captivity. But you get there. Remember There will be a day when you get to go home. And when you get to go home, I want you to remember that I told you before it ever happened that this is what was coming. That this is what's going to take place. The Lord Yahweh has redeemed his servant Jacob. That they did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. Did they? They cry out for water and water came from a rock, right? At least twice. They did not thirst through the deserts. He made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and water gushed out. God is their provision. And then he declares, for there is no peace for the wicked. No peace. There's only salvation in him. The wicked, the Bible describes as those who will not hear the call of God. Who will not submit who will not trust who will not hope in him god says in ezekiel i have no glory in the destruction of the wicked but that the wicked would repent and live to see people say you know what god i'm gonna i'm gonna try this do this your way 
Let's do it your way. Whatever. I remember sitting in my backyard crying like a little baby that my youngest son was autistic. And I had spent all my life in rebellion against God. And when I finally start serving God, my son's autistic. The other ones were fine. Why, why when I'm following you, God, you, is, is my youngest autistic? And the end result is God saying, will you submit to me that I know better than you? Yeah. I have learned more from my relationship with my son, Joseph, about my relationship with God than in any book, than any study, in anything I've ever done. I've learned more from the parallels of my relationship with him and trying to break into his world and God's parallels with me trying to break into mine. God knows what he's doing. His way is better. We might not like it, but it's better. It's good. It's right. And he is able to carry us through it all. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the study as we work our way through Isaiah. Lord, I pray that it would just take root, God, that just as the children of Israel struggle, struggled with uh, their own desires, their own wants, their own... just all the things that would pull them away from you, God, so do we. I pray we just hear you saying, I'm telling you so that you'll know when it happens to you. I haven't lost grip on your life. I haven't lost grip on what I'm trying to do for you. But I need you to trust me. I need you to be faithful to me. And I need you to pursue me. God, I pray we would learn the lessons for you are our Redeemer. You're the only lens through which my life makes sense. So God, we just pray that you would continue to go before us and call us unto yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.